Hello, friends. You're listening to The Word is Resistance. My name is Will Green, and this is a podcast of showing up for racial justice, or Surge. Specifically, The Word is Resistance is a project of Surge Faith. This is the place where we engage the weekly scripture readings through an anti-racist lens, informed by a liberationist praxis. People want to know, what's it even mean to believe in good news? Or to believe in THE good news, for that matter? Given the forces of racism, white supremacy, anti-trans violence, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, ableism, and other forms of oppression that are so powerful and pervasive. What does the Bible have to do with any of this? Or what does the faith of those who read the Bible and are willing to struggle with the Christian heritage have to do with the world we're living in? Or for that matter, what does the Bible have to do with the world we actually want to live in? If these are questions you'd like to explore, or if these are questions you ask all the time and have built your life around answering, then this podcast is for you. It's designed to be a resource for reflection, inspiration, and action for people who are committed to showing up for racial justice. Because this podcast is created by Surge, the primary intended audience for the word is resistance is white people in the United States. We are white people challenging and supporting other white people as we take action to dismantle white supremacy following the leadership of people of color. Of course, we welcome all listeners, and we especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to people of color. I myself am a white, cisgender, male, gay, clergy person who lives on Wabanaki land in what is now called the state of Maine. I'm a Methodist pastor who serves a congregation. I've been preaching weekly for 11 years, and I've been contributing a few times a year to The Word is Resistance for over three years now. This episode's being recorded in the first days of early 2020 for Epiphany. So we'll be exploring the story of King Herod, the Magi, and the newborn Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's start with the scripture reading, the gospel reading for Epiphany. This is the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It goes like this. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. In calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, 
They saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Amen. That's our reading for Epiphany. So I'm sure you'll remember back in 2018 when the movie Black Panther came out. It was a huge deal. When I first heard about this movie, I was so excited and I got caught up in the buzz and I could not wait to see it. But when I actually went to go see it, as soon as the movie started, a really, really obvious thing became clear to me that I really should have realized beforehand. I've been excited to see this movie because somewhere, somehow, I'd gotten the message. I don't even know how. But I was under the impression that this movie was going to be at least tangentially related to the Black Panther Party, as in the revolutionary organization, you know, founded in Oakland in the 60s. I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't a documentary or a direct dramatization of any sort, but somehow I thought there would be a connection somehow. So as soon as the movie started with this, you know, flashy casino heist scene, if I remember correctly, I felt really disappointed and a little embarrassed as I realized, oh, this is a superhero movie. Now, I'd known that, of course, but I guess I didn't really know it until I saw it. And as I sat there at the beginning of this movie, I realized I had never seen one of these new superhero movies before. I know they weren't new then, but they were to me. And I have no criticism. No hate, nothing to say uh, about those movies. It's just just not my thing. I don't really... Just not my thing. That's all. So anyway, that's embarrassing. Uh, but just the same, as you know, if you notice the title of this episode, I do want to make a reference to Black Panther the film. And it's that famous line, maybe the most famous line, most famous line to me anyway, from the movie, from the fight scene where the actor, Michael B. Jordan, is beating up Black Panther, and he asks Black Panther's friends who are watching, is this your king? Is this your king is a perfect meme for Epiphany. It's a perfect saying for this holiday. You know, in, in when you and I use the term, uh, is this your king, it's used to ask people to really question who they have allegiance to and what side they're on. It's supposed to make someone, you know, embarrassed when you asked it because it's asked in a way that really exposes their so-called king as not much of a king. In the movie, the bad guy's beating up the good guy and everybody who supports the good guy's challenge to reevaluate, you know, to really question their beliefs. Is this your king would also be a good title for the second chapter of Matthew. Not unlike a fight scene in a movie, in Matthew 2, there's direct conflict between King Herod, who's the bad guy, and Jesus, who is Chadwick Boseman. As we read in Matthew chapter 2 about how evil and jealous and horrible King Herod is, we can imagine the question being posed to us. Is this your king? Is your king Herod, the king who's so afraid of losing power 
that he's willing to kill children. The king who embodies and personifies all of the anxiety and the fear of the people who keep him in power. The king who lies and misrepresents himself. This king who's too incompetent to carry out his evil by himself, so he has to trick people into helping him and doing his bidding. Is this your king? Or is your king Jesus? Jesus is a king who wasn't put in place by Rome, but was born into his role. Doesn't have an army, a throne, or a palace. He's young, defenseless, and somewhat hard to find. Is this your king? Or is this your king? I think it's a good question for people working on dismantling racism and white supremacy. The metaphor of competing kingships, I think, is quite useful. Let's start by naming some of the similarities between evil King Herod and the evil of racism. Okay, racism is about maintaining power, maintaining power because of a sense of fear. Racism tells white people that if we aren't aggressively offensive toward people of color, then we're going to be replaced. Racism is about holding on to money and opportunities and resources and land and status and whatever else white people think needs to be kept away from everybody else because racism is, of course, competitive and greedy and desperate and strategic. Not a good way for anyone to live, but even worse is how harmful it is for other people who are labeled the enemy or targeted for violence and harm by those who do live this way. You know, letting your own fears define you is horrible, but defining other people by your fears is even worse. So everything I've said about racism here could also be used to describe King Herod in the second chapter of Matthew. In this uh, metaphorical sense, and to be clear, this entire depiction of King Herod in Matthew 2 is a fictitious literary creation of the imagination. We're not talking about a real person here. But in this metaphorical sense, King Herod reminds me of a racist, white supremacist worldview. This character in Matthew 2 serves as a model for how evil operates. So if Herod is so evil, why is he permitted to reign? The answer is, of course, because he has power. Power justifies itself. This is just like why white supremacy is allowed to continue, because white people have power. Although we, I know we already know that racism is bad and King Herod is bad, I still think it's worth exploring this. For white people who are grossed out by King Herod, it's helpful for us to see the very things that make Herod so evil in our own white American culture, especially this fear of replacement. You know, this sort of thing doesn't just show up at white supremacist rallies and marches, though it does. It also shows up wherever and whenever white people prioritize our own fear over other people's future. And that's just what Herod does, driven by his own fear over anyone else's future. Okay, so what about the other king? What are the qualities of Jesus in this chapter that we'd like to learn from? The first thing I'd like to say about Jesus in this chapter uh, is that he draws people to himself. Jesus is attractive, attractive as in magnetic. Jesus pulls people in, draws people in. We need to deliberately and effectively build and continue to build 
an attractive movement for racial justice. Anti-racism and racism are in direct confrontation. In order for racial justice to prevail, we need to attract people to the cause. Now, by attractive, I obviously don't mean selling out or trying to make everybody happy or respectability. Don't go to that extreme. None of those things are attractive. They're gross. I'm just talking about inviting people, drawing people in to the good fight. I think a good question to ask, raised from from this reading and from this reflection, is what has attracted you to anti-racism or or to surge? What attracted you to surge? My guess is that you were first attracted to surge, not so much by a what, but by a who, but which is to say, by a person. That, that was the case for me. I was first attracted to surge because someone I respected pointed me in this direction. It was someone I'd gotten to know well through prison abolition work, who quite innocently once, in response to someone else's question, mentioned that if people want to get connected with racial justice work, they should hook up with surge. That's a pretty easy way to attract people. Invite them. It can be that simple. You know, how do I invite people into racial justice work? Well, invite people into racial justice work. Maybe it's not that hard. Sure, everybody won't come, but we need to practice attraction. Just like Jesus, like this magnet pulling attention and energy in Matthew chapter 2. I've also found that a good way to be attractive is to be specific. In 2014, I heard someone ask, you know, if anyone, this is on social media, someone asked, does anyone know any clergy people within an hour drive of such and such a city who would be interested in being involved in an action? This is a surge person asking, making this specific ask, very specific. I thought, I could do that. They specifically, the, the specificity rather, attracted me. What are ways that we can be specific in our invitations? You know, in Matthew 2, Jesus was specifically located under that star. There was a focus, a point, a specific direction. There's a lot to that. In addition to being attractive and specific or clear, with Jesus in Matthew 2, there's something about community. And here's what I mean. I love how the Magi are a group. They're plural. There are them. There are several of them. And they attracted, they, they traveled together. They worked together. You know, this is a theme on this pro- podcast. You need a group. You need a team. You can't do it alone. The Magi were a group working together in community. Speaking of the Magi, another important thing about them is that they were in a position of authority where people look up to looked up to them and recognized them. Herod asked the Magi for uh, some of their knowledge. He looked to them for assistance about how to locate Jesus. The point I want to make for my comparison is that there are people in the world who are looking for guidance. They might be looking to you. They might be looking to someone else, but many people are actually quite desperate for ethical leadership, and for help with navigating the world. I'm very aware of this because I'm a clergy person, so it actually happens that people will ask me my opinions and care about what I say. People want help and guidance. Give it to them. Tell people what you know. Share what you feel. Express what you hope, what you believe is possible. Be like those magi who were not 
afraid or ashamed to share, even with Herod, what they had, you know, what they were open to, where they wanted to go. In Matthew 2, the Magi leverage that authority to draw people to Jesus, to drain authority away from Herod. You know, why can't the church leverage our authority to pursue racial justice and to drain authority and legitimacy away from the unjust structures of white supremacy? Why can't the church do that? I know this podcast is not about renewing the church, but I believe that the church has important gifts to give in the fight for racial justice. And I also want to say about the Magi and uh, Jesus as king, uh, you know, who threatens Herod. As white people, even though we have it for terrible, horrible reasons, so simply, we have privilege. It's significant for white people to leverage, leverage our power and privilege for the sake of racial justice. I know it gets said so much, and it gets watered down so much that we might forget it's true, but it's true. So at Epiphany, think of those magi who were in Herod's court, were respected by that evil king and all that he represented, and in the end, they left it behind. And they chose another way, another path. They did not return to that throne room. As we decide what we will choose, uh, let's look at the world and remember that only line I remember from the entire Black Panther movie. Is this your king? Which way will we choose? Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org. Our podcast lives at SoundCloud. And you can also find us on Stitcher. Just search the word as resistance. Transcripts are available on our website. The music you hear on our podcast is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Reverend Dr. Vincent Harding. We are building up a new world. The group singing is called No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for choir practice to bring music back into direct action in other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014 and is being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We're particularly thankful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for our podcast. Our sound engineer is Maxwell Pearl. Thank you, Max, for making this podcast possible. Peace and power to you all in our work together. I'm grateful to be in this movement with you. Happy Epiphany. Blessings for 2020.